Good morning. If you're joining us on the internet, it's really good to have you with us and good to see everybody here too, obviously. Um, before I start, Vic, uh, Vic's mentioned it already to you, but I'll mention it to everybody watching, that today is the uh, Jewish Day of Atonement, one of my favourite Jewish festivals. Turn with me briefly to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually, make the comers thereon too perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshippers once purged should have no more conscience of sin. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I love the Day of Atonement. That picture of the high priest going into the tabernacle, crawling under the veil with the offering, going into that holy place and sprinkling the blood of the atonement onto that mercy seat. And that dealt with the sin of Israel at that time. But of course, it only ever covered it. It never took it away. It was a type and shadow of when Jesus would come and he would go into the presence of God himself, into heaven itself. Verse 20, uh, Hebrews 9, 24. Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are the figures of the true, just a type, a shadow of the true thing but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. And God accepted his offering. Thank God for that. He accepted the offering of Jesus. And so now that, that sacrifice, that year-by-year -year sacrifice is no longer required because we have the true, the true perfect sacrifice that was offered once on our behalf. So praise God for that. It's the Day of Atonement. So praying for all our Jewish family all over the world that God will minister the scriptures to their hearts and open their eyes to see Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. These last weeks, Vic has been, uh, in his sermons, he's been showing us Jesus showing us that religion as a way of approaching and receiving from God is over. It's over. That has come through unexpectedly and clearly because I don't think any of us having read John, the number of times we've read John over the years, that particular aspect of it hasn't come through in the way that it has. See, that's just been absolutely wonderful to see that our good works and our good behavior are no longer the focus of our relationship with God and that's because of Jesus uh, Father I thank you for your word and I pray for each heart hearing your word this morning you would minister to us fresh and new and just drink deeply of all you have Lord and feast on your word today. May it really, really do us good. This Holy Spirit, we pray you minister this word to us in every part. In Jesus' name, amen. My sermon this week does carry on a little bit from my last one, um, which you will remember when I remind you, I spoke about the difference between work 
and works. I said there's works to be accepted by God, but there is still work for us to do in terms of finding out all that God has for us and walking in it. Um, yeah, we still need to grow and mature, and that requires action. That does, you know, if we don't ever seek the Lord, read his words, spend time with him, praying, enjoying his company and enjoying his pleasure in us. If we don't do these things, we'll go nowhere very quickly. So it's, there is still a lot for us to do, but never for the purpose of being accepted by God. That's been done. That's it. Done. Uh, we looked at Naaman. I remember Naaman the leper. Um, we saw a model for dipping into the word. Remember that? He dipped himself seven times in the river. That was about continually dipping in the word over and over. And even after that sermon, I was reminded of that, even just that very morning, the importance of doing that. So yeah, that we never, ever stop needing to be dipping into God's word. It's so important. What I'm going to speak on this morning is actually a lot of revision. And uh, I love it that it is the Day of Atonement because I'm going to be uh, which was sort of the foundational day of the law, because that was when the, the high priest went into the Holy of Holies and made this atonement for the sin of the people. So it was such an important day, highlighting the importance of the law of Moses. This was this was sort of uh, underpinning all of the law. And what I want to do today is look at some verses that we've looked at many times. We're going to look at them again and see... Uh, that the scripture itself tells us that the law as a means of approaching God, as a means of approaching God for us is over. The law is over. It is not for us. Jesus has fulfilled the law and it's done. Um, the law speaks to us. I mean, we don't expect to go and uh, we, we, we don't wear, you know, I think this is this jumper, I think it's probably got more than one fabric in it you're you're wearing things some of you got beards some of you bald you know we don't keep the law for accepting God for, for acceptance by God we understand that um but but so many of us still approach God with this idea that we have to behave in a certain way to be accepted and the phrase that Vic didn't uh, quote it last week but his teaching last week the phrase that came to me is that the law is about behavior modification, whereas grace, God's grace, and being in relationship with Jesus is about behavior transformation, which happens by accident. It happens more accidentally than we can ever purposely make change. Um, so I want to look at some of the scriptures that show us that the law is not a positive thing. But it's it's such a it's a kind of a, um, a paradox the word oxymoron maybe that that God's law is good and yet God's law is bad. Now it's good in that it is the perfect standard, it is the perfect representation of God's holiness, but it's bad because for us it's terrible. As sinful humanity, the law is an awful thing. I'm gonna, we're going to look at, at why that is and then you know, talk about why we need to cast off 
all of this attitude that God is looking to our, uh, us for performance. It's, it goes totally against the new covenant. And we'll look at that this morning. So turn with me, first of all, to 2 Corinthians 3, verse 7. And as we go through these, we haven't looked at these for a while. When we, when we first uh, started MGF, um, we focused a lot on this kind of thing to try and really establish early and strongly these principles. So 2 Corinthians 3, verse 7 I should have typed them out. 2 Corinthians 3 7. Um, jumping in right in, I'm not going to explain what Paul's talking about here, but he says here if the ministration of death written and engraven on stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away. How shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? So he's contrasting here the Old and New Testaments, and he's saying the Old Testament had an amazing glory, but the New Testament far and away surpasses that. But when he's talking about that, and here he refers to... Um, written and engraven on stones. So what was that? The tablets, the Ten Commandments. He's talking about the actual Ten Commandments. And he calls it a ministration of death. Yeah. A ministration of death. That's not a positive thing. That's not a positive uh, phrase that Paul's using there, that he's encouraging us to be in the Ten Commandments because it brings death and we'll go on to see why 1 corinthians 15 56 paul says the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law i mean that is astonishing some people feel that trying to adhere to a standard is good for them but actually, trying to adhere to a standard will strengthen in you everything you're trying to overcome. Yeah. That's what the law does. If you see a standard and think, right, that's something for me to attain to, to please God. I'm sorry, everything in you is going to rise up against that standard and you'll be battling and battling your whole life to overcome it. It is the strength of sin is the law. I've got a good example of that later. Romans 7 verse 5. Um, sorry, I think I've got that wrong. Oh, thank you. Yes, thank you. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. That you have to uh, ask off this attitude of behaving 
well to please God. This is just flickering, darling. I don't know if there's anything going wrong here. I can see Aidy's comment. Can you still hear me and is everything still good? Sure. I'm still ticking. Anyway, we'll keep going. Hebrews 8.13. In that he saith, a new covenant. Um, let's go back a bit. Uh, this, this is um, Paul, or whoever wrote Hebrews, quoting from Jeremiah, talking about the coming new covenant. Verse 12, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. In that he saith, a new covenant, he hath made the first old. Now that which is decaying and waxeth old is ready to vanish away it's ready to vanish away it's no longer required it's no longer the way it's no longer the method of approaching and relating to god so it's decaying and waxing old hebrews 7 verse 18 this speaks of it being annulled Do remember all these scriptures we've used them so many times over the years for there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before that is the, the, the law, the first commandment. And listen to this, for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. The law, he's saying the law was weak and unprofitable. Now, is the law itself weak? No, the law is a strong, perfect standard. Is the law unprofitable? Well, as the perfect standard of God's holiness? No, not at all. But for the sinful human, it is completely awful. It's awful. It's weak and unprofitable. It can never, ever save. It can show you your need for a savior, but it can never save you. And trying to keep it to earn your salvation is inappropriate and no longer uh, needed for a New Testament believer. It's weak and unprofitable. It made nothing perfect. Verse 19 there, for the law made nothing perfect. There we are. The law makes nothing perfect. But the bringing in of a better hope did, that is through Jesus, by the, by, um, the which we draw nigh unto God. It's through Jesus that we approach God, not through our own good works. Uh, Romans 8, 8, it was found to be faulty. Uh, verse 7, for if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place should have been sought for the second. But actually it was faulty. But for finding fault with them, he says, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And we are invited into that covenant. Excuse me. Excuse me. The law as a method of humans relating to God, gave God no pleasure. Hebrews 10, verse 8. Above when he said, sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin, thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. He had no pleasure in those things. Now, they were the way at the time, 
because they were type and shadow. They were there in type to show us the perfect thing that was coming, but it was never ever meant to be the way of relating to God through works through the law. It was temporary. The law was temporary. Galatians 3.19. Wherefore serveth the law, serveth the law, it was added because of transgressions till the seed was the seed was come, that is Jesus. So it was added until the scripture said. So it was added, and we're going to look at this in a minute, but it was added to something already in existence until that thing that was there beforehand came to its full fruition. So in the middle of this, we have the law. It was temporary, never, ever meant to be the absolute way of relating to God. Verse 24, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster, temporary, never meant to be um, the permanent um, forever way. And Hebrews 10 Sorry, Hebrews 9, verse 10. Um, saying it was temporary. Talking about the offerings and the sacrifices and everything, which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposed upon them until, everyone say until, until the time of reformation. That time when Jesus would come and do everything perfectly. The law has been done away with. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 11. For if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remaineth is glorious. It's gone. Something new has come. It works wrath. Romans 4, verse 15. Verse 14, for if, if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void and the promises of none effect because the law worketh wrath. The law works wrath. The, the law, it, it has a purpose. We're going to go and look at that in a moment. But it is so, so negative for us. The law is, is designed to be negative for us. The last thing we'll look at is, is Hebrews 10.4. We've already looked at Hebrews 10, speaking about the Day of Atonement. It is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. The, the Old Testament law, the way of doing all of that, did not deal with sin. It never, ever dealt with sin. It was only type and shadow. So with everything I've said, all these scriptures that I've read about how the law appears to be so terrible. It's death. It's been done away. It was weak and unprofitable. It gave God no pleasure. It was temporary. It was administration of death. What on earth was it for? Why did God give the law? Why did he add it? We saw in that scripture it was added. Why was the law given? It was given really for one reason and that was to give us a knowledge of our sinful condition romans 3 verse 19 
Paul writes, Now we know that, that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, so that, this is the reason, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Without the law, we had no idea we were sinful. We had no idea. We needed God to give his perfect standard and say, right, try and attain this. And when we see how incapable we are and unable we are, that reveals sin in us. Romans 7 verse 13, Paul writes this, Was that then which is good made death unto me? God forbid. He's saying that the law is perfect. There's nothing wrong with the law. But sin, that it might appear sin, wrecking death in me, by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. The law is there to highlight the hideous, sinful nature of man. Without that, we have no clue. Without that, we look in the mirror and we think, I'm pretty good. But then we see the law of God and we think, uh-oh, uh-oh, I can't live up to this. I do not. I do not match this whole perfect example of holiness. I need a standard. That's that's the whole point of the law. Like that schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. The law shows us we need a savior. That savior is Christ. But when we are in Christ, we no longer need the schoolmaster. In Galatians three nineteen. We've looked at this. Wherefore then serveth the law? Paul says. What's the point of the law? It was added because of transgressions. It was added because of sins. We needed to know our sinful state. And when we know our sinful state, boy, that makes us glad that we have a perfect saviour who did everything that was required on our behalf. But we needed this understanding of our sinful nature. And that is what the law was or I've got an example of how it works, and it's it's um I hope you I hope you get what I'm saying by this. Um but some years ago, maybe 10, 15 years ago, Lydia was just a little girl, and Corrine ran a, a beautiful dance school for little girls. And Lydia uh, really enjoyed this. It was a beautiful thing. Corrine is so lovely with the girls and everything. It was just a beautiful time. And these beautiful, lovely little girls. And they, they were lovely, all of them. And Stuart would help Kareen in this dance class, this dance club. He would do the refreshments for the little girls uh, at the end of their dance class. Um, so we were in this, we were in this room, all the girls had come in, they were all there, and Stuart had done this lovely table of juice and snacks for the girls. And on the table was a tray, and there was maybe like a dozen cup, plastic cups with juice, like rainbow colours of juice on this tray. And then the little girls came in, and they're standing at the table, and one of them was looking at the cups, looking at all these beautiful colour cups. Sweet, lovely 
innocent little girl, okay? She's looking at the cups and she said, I don't know which one to choose, like this. And Stuart, you know, joking, this is a total joke. He said, he said, well, you can pick whichever one you like, except for the pink one, like this. And she looked at him and she looked down and she grabbed the pink one like that. <laughs> Now that is the law. Yes. That is a perfect example of what the law does. There was this beautiful, sweet little girl. As soon as the law came, out came rebellion, out came disobedience, out came, bless God, I shall have that pink one. That, you know, it's, you know what I'm saying? This beautiful little girl, she has a sin nature. We all do. And we need thou shalt not to bring it out. Without the thou shalt not, we don't know it's there. Without the thou shalt not take the pink cup, we would never have seen that in that little girl. I mean, it's, you know, it's cute. It's nothing horrible. But I just thought, wow, that is a perfect example of what the Lord does. Thou shalt not. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I will. And thou shalt, oh, yes, I'm going to. I am going to. And that is why teaching the law is so appalling. Because what you're doing is causing, you're teaching someone's flesh to rebel and to rise up and to do everything that's negative. So I thought that was a, a great example of the law. Um, yeah, as I said at the start, this, these scriptures and everything that I've, I've spoken about is stuff that we, We've spoken about for years since the, we established MGF really on these truths that the law as a means for approaching God is over. Now we are under grace and we come to God based on entirely 100%, 100% on what Jesus has done. We, mankind was separated from God by sin, but we didn't understand the severity of that condition we that we didn't know um but god, uh, and god didn't leave us like that he showed us the law he gave the law to show us how far short we fall paul says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god and we would never have known that without the law that's what it's for that's all it's for is to show us our sin because it cannot do anything else it cannot save us all it can do is show us our need for a savior so yeah god showed us the law he said this this is the sinful condition of man and then he sent jesus as that perfect man to be the perfect sacrifice the perfect payment of sin to fulfill every requirement of that law and jesus he through what he did he deserved and earned his right standing with God. He, he was, he perfectly kept the law. He earned his, the wages of his righteousness was eternal life. The wages of sin is death. But he earned and bought and paid for by his performance, his right standing with God. And he's given that to us as a gift. He now offers to us everything that he deserved and earned. And he says, here, you have it as a gift. Uh, it, there's been no cost to us. 
no cost to us at all. It's cost us nothing. We have to do nothing other than believe. Yeah. And that's, that's a decision we make on the inside. That's not even, we don't have to lift a finger to believe. We just believe. And there's been no cost. The gift of righteousness has been entirely, entirely, fully paid for us. And we benefit from all that that brings, just absolutely as a gift, just because of the love and the generosity of someone else, our Father who gave us Jesus. I have a personal example of this very thing. Um, a couple of you have come in saying you didn't know we were here because our car wasn't here this morning. Well, that's because we have another car. Now, um, the car that we came in is a very nice car. If you didn't notice it when you come in, have a look at it on the way out. That car was a gift. It was a gift. It belonged to my uncle. And this is a very long story, and there's a lot more to it than I'm going to share, but this basic principle stands that because of the love and generosity of him, he's given to me as a gift. And it's way more than I would ever buy myself. The speck of it is that I would never, that's not something I would ever be able to afford or pay for myself. I could never pay for it myself there. That's it. Yeah. I needed somebody else to pay for it for me and then give it to me as a gift. And he keeps saying to me many, many times, and he's, he's, just, he's just gone home. He was with us for about seven weeks. But many, many times he kept saying to me how much pleasure it's giving him knowing that I had that car to enjoy. Now, you know, see the, the allegory here with our Heavenly Father. How much more does our Heavenly Father enjoy it when we appreciate the free gift that he paid for, that he's given to us to enjoy? And it's a lovely car. It's a really nice car. It gives, it gives our Father so much pleasure when we appreciate, enjoy, and use that free gift that he's given it. If that car just sat there unused, what a waste. That's actually one of the reasons why he gave it to me, because he can't drive it anymore. Um, so it's been sitting in his driveway for months and months and months, unused, this beautiful car literally getting covered in cobwebs we had, to, we had to clean off all the cobwebs because it's just been sat there unused how many of us have got this gift of righteousness on the inside of us and it's gathering dust and getting cobwebs all over it because we're not making full use of all that jesus has done for us gosh what a picture you know god he gives him such pleasure when we enjoy all that he's given to us I've mentioned how this law was added. It was added 
to a promise that was already established. God had given this promise to Abraham uh, of, of a land, but Abraham was justified by faith. And this was this promise to Abraham that his justification was by faith, it wasn't earned. And that was the, uh, the picture of the true covenant that's coming. That was the original major covenant that, that Jesus' covenant was based on, this covenant to Abraham. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's the foundation of grace. But then the law was given. It was added, as Paul writes, because of transgression. It was added to show us the, the sin of mankind. Um, that law that was given, it never, ever overruled that first promise that was established. That was always the primary one, always the, the model of the true one that was coming. Um, the promise that, uh, to Abraham, Paul writes in Galatians, it was, it, was the, it was the dominant covenant for 430 years, this promise to Abraham. And then Moses uh, came with the law. So there was this 430 years, then the law came. Um, but as Paul says, that, that law that came, it never overruled, it never did away with that promise to Abraham. I want to read to you from the New Living Translation, Romans 5, verse 20 onwards. It said, God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. God forbid, King James says. Since we have died to sin, how we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Hallelujah. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you, who were, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. God forbid. Don't you realize, or know ye not, King James says, don't you realize that you, that you've, that you become the slave 
of whatever you choose to obey. You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to right living. Thank God, once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we give you. Now you are free from slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. Amen. We're no longer under the law. There's no longer works for us to do. But we still can choose to look to Jesus instead of just living a life of sin. We don't have to keep sinning. We've got that empowering in us through Jesus to choose to be different, to choose to live a better life. And as we're looking to him, worshipping him, loving him, enjoying his love for us, we will see these things change. We will see change come and we will live better accidentally than we ever could on purpose. The blessing of God is upon our life through Jesus and our righteousness is in him. We have been made the righteousness of God. We don't earn it. We've been made it. It's been given as a gift. And everything that he has given to us is given as a free gift. I might also say that my uncle, uh, as, long, as well as the car, he gave me some money to go to the servicing of the car. So it wasn't just the car, there was even more. Yeah, it just, it's just abundance. Uh, this, this, but how much more does our Heavenly Father give us? How much have we got in him? We have... I've got them written here so I don't forget. We have the name of Jesus. We have his spirit, his blood, his covenant, his promises, his gifts, his word, his love, his authority, his faith, the keys of the kingdom. We are overcomers. Now, how, what, what more do you want? <laughs> what more do you want? What more do we want? We have everything. Paul writes this in Ephesians 3.14. He says, For this cause I bow my knee unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. This is his prayer, that he would grant you, according to the rich of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of God, the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. It's all a gift. Don't earn any of it. There's nothing you can do to earn it. It's given to you as a gift. Look at the law. See that you need a savior, and then look to the savior. Don't ever look to the law. Don't ever look to behavior modification as the thing that's going to please God. The thing that pleases God is your faith in Jesus and what he has done for you. That is it. That is all he wants from you. And everything comes as a result of that. If we stay in it, if we continue in it, as I said at the start, if we withdraw from that and just don't bother doing anything, don't bother spending time with him, don't bother enjoying God's presence, I and mean, why anybody would who loves the Lord, but if we back off, 
will go nowhere very quickly. And we'll miss out on all the benefits that God has given, all that list of stuff. We'll miss out on making use of that in our lives and seeing all of these wonderful things come to pass in every area of life where we can use this and death and life in the power of the tongue. We speak these things out using our authority to cause these things to come in our lives, in our children's lives, in our families' lives, in our neighbors' lives, whoever, our colleagues' lives, whoever we have association with. We can, we can uh, use these things to bless them and, and minister to them. So the law strengthens sin, not people. Yeah. The law does not strengthen you. The law kills you. The law will, will condemn and kill and destroy you. It's not meant to save you. God doesn't want us to look at the law other than reference anymore, but to look at Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Maybe keep our eyes on Jesus. As I say, we'll find ourselves living better than we ever thought possible. See our lives changing effortlessly, and we see that fruit coming through in lots of different ways, lots of different areas. What we have now is relationship with God. And relationship comes from getting to know somebody by spending time with them, enjoying their company. And there becomes more and more intimacy as we do that. He wants us to enjoy intimacy with him. His love, his unconditional love has been expressed to us by giving us that gift that Jesus died to provide for us. And that is what, that's what true Christianity is all about. Receiving that gift that Jesus has provided and enjoying everything that comes with it. We cannot buy it, earn it, deserve it. We, we, there's nothing, it's nothing to do with us. That's what the law does. The law, the law shows you that you don't deserve any of it. And you can never do anything to get it. Jesus did it. He provided it. He has given it to us as a gift. And that, that is the gospel. That is the good oh, news that Jesus has dealt with it all. He's dealt with our sin and sickness. He's taken the punishment for it all. To the, he's left it in the grave. He rose again victorious. He's ascended and he sent his Holy Spirit. Now we have the very Spirit of God inside of us. And in that sense, we are like him. Yeah. He was a man on the earth and he had the Spirit of God in him. Now, he was perfect. But we are human beings. We are men and women on the earth with the Holy Spirit in us. So in that sense, we are exactly like him. As Jesus is, so are we in this world, in this world. Amen.